Welcome, welcome, welcome to Look at California, Feeling Minnesota. My name is Michael McCaffrey. I'm a writer out here in California, and my co-partner is... Barry Anderson. I'm from Minnesota, and I'm a director. And uh, we like to get together and basically break down movies in a way that maybe you haven't heard in other ways. Uh, you might say that we just sit here and complain, but uh, what we're trying to do is uh, understand the visual storytelling that is cinema and talk about the pros and cons and sometimes what we would do to make it better. Well, Barry's here to do that. I'm just here to complain. So. <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. Yes. Uh, so yeah, so the topic today is Jojo Rabbit which Jojo Rabbit, in case you don't know, is directed and written by Taika Waititi, who I think is a New Zealander, I think, um, or Australian, one of the two. No offense to anybody down there who will take offense at that. And it's the story of a 10-year-old boy, Jojo, who is coming of age in Nazi Germany and trying to navigate that. He has a imaginary best friend in the form of Adolf Hitler, and he is a Hitler youth. So he goes through all this sort of rigmarole in his life uh, with a mother who is not a Nazi. And uh, that's kind of the premise of it. I guess we should say, starting right now, there will be some spoilers <laughs> yeah, in this. This <laughs> I'm trying to tell the... We can't, we can't, we yeah. can't talk about this movie in great depth without uh, yeah, yeah. talking about some of the plot points. So if you haven't seen it, um, I will state this before you shut off the podcast. Um, I liked the movie. It's not a perfect movie, but it's definitely, if you're going to spend money to go see, you know, if you're one of those people that go see four movies in a theater a year, this one is definitely a candidate, in my opinion, for you to spend your money and go see it. So I'd say see it, then come back and finish listening to the rest of the podcast. Okay. I might you tell uh, them that you shouldn't spend their money. <laughs> no, no, it's funny. I, uh, when I first reviewed the film, I gave it three stars out of five, which as you know, and as my readers know, I can be quite, <laughs> quite stingy with the yes. stars. I, I grade sort of uh, harshly. So three out of five is pretty good. Um, I watched it again last night uh, I, because I'm a, an important person and I have a screener, so I can watch it when I please. And uh, I didn't like it as much. Hmm. It's going to be fun because I think sometimes you and I because even though we come from different angles, I, I think a lot of times the methodology leaves the same spot. And I think there's going to be more disagreement on this one than there has been as of late. So it'll be, it'll be curious to see. I think it'll be interesting to see how we, we both break it down. Yeah. And I, again, we should say to people, this will have spoilers. And also just to understand where we're coming from, Barry is a white supremacist. And, and uh, so that's, that's probably why he liked it. Um, I'm just saying, I'm just, no judgments here. No judgments. I'm kidding. Barry's not a white supremacist. And that was the end of the podcast. It's been great. It's been a good time. Uh, I love it. So yeah, I watched it the second time last night and it really didn't hold up at all. And there were parts of it that I really enjoyed the first time I saw it. But what I think happens when you watch it a second time is that you the entertainment value is diminished because of the sort of shock and titillation of a, a funny Adolf Hitler character, which by the way is played by the director and the writer Waika, uh, Taika Waititi um, who's great in it. He is great in this movie. I found him to be hysterical. He's 
He's very, very funny. He's very good. And the best parts of the movie are when this imaginary Hitler character are on screen. And seeing it the second time, that the shock value of that is gone. And so you're left sort of with the cinematic value of the film, which I think is just not very high. And I really wanted, the second time I saw it, I really wanted to love it even more. Um, but it, it just didn't hold my attention. And a lot of a lot of the flaws of the film were really accentuated upon the second viewing. So in terms of recommending people see it or not, I do think it's worth seeing. And in my review, I said I thought it was worth seeing. Um, I just don't think seeing it in a theater is, it's not worth paying $14 to see. Well, the, the you're, you're grading on, you're changing, you're not changing, but this, you and I have never really talked about this in the podcast, but there's two different tiers of films in my mind. There are the films that can achieve, you know, watchable, good, great status at a one pass. Then there are movies that if you watch four, five, six, eight times, it just keeps like giving and giving and giving. And those are the true timeless classics that you're like, man, I've watched that now nine times and it's still, I'm shocked by that or I didn't see that coming or how did they craft that? So what you're talking about, when you go back and start rewatching movies, that is really, really difficult to pull off a movie that's enjoyable, that people like, that have an impact, and then can go back for seconds and thirds and fourths. That's like a whole different category. And I would agree, I would not think that Jojo Rabbit would be one that, you know, would be on a regular rotation in a film buff's library. But, you know, I, we'll, we'll talk more specifics about what I liked and didn't kind of as we dive in. But I, you know, that, it's definitely, I agree with you. It's not one of those, it won't be in the pantheon of uh, Criterion Classics for film, film. <laughs> definitely not. Right. Um, so we should get into uh, what we liked about it and what we didn't like. For me, what I really enjoyed about the film and what I thought was very well done was all of the comedy, I think works very well. Yeah. And it has, it has a, 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 watching it last night is when it struck me. I was like, oh wow, I get, what he's trying to do this is almost uh mel brooksian in, in its comedy it's it's not quite as as big as a mel brooks thing but it's pretty close yeah and that stuff i think he does very well and for the uninitiated taika waititi um another film that you may have seen that he directed is thor thor ragnarok which is one of the marvel films and one of the better marvel films and it's i saw that movie on a plane flying across country <laughs> and loved it. I thought it was fantastic. It's original. It's very funny. It's like, it just really, it, 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 it uh, crackles with this sort of energy that is also in Jojo Rabbit. Um, I think the problem with the film is number one, you're dealing with, first of all, it, it takes a lot of balls to make this movie in this day and age because of all the sort of you know politically correct sort of stuff there are so many traps you can fall into yeah. where you're just going to get eviscerated and this movie has taken some hits because of this stuff saying oh it doesn't treat the subject matter you know seriously enough and all this um but i would say for the risk that he took the blowback has been minimal from what it could have been 
I, I, oh, agree. I think that's a testament to his skill as a director. I think, you know, you're never going to walk away unscathed in anything, but I think he mostly navigated this one uh, as, as best you can, you know, in today's climate. I agree. And it is a testament to his skill and also to, I think, just his persona, his likability. And since he's on screen, you get to sort of yeah. connect with the guy who's making this thing. And so you, you give him the benefit of the doubt, or at least I did. Where I think the film struggles is when it veers from just outright humor to drama. And that's a, it's a really tough line to sort of uh, tap dance across. And I don't think he pulls it off. I think the drama is very mawkish and maudlin and it, it brings everything to a screeching halt. And I, I just really, especially, I mean, the first time I saw it, I didn't, I was like, yikes, man, what is, what are, what are we trying to do here? Now, it's not as awful as say, like, you know, the, the schmaltziness of like, life is beautiful or something like that. But like, it, it, it never fully threads the needle with the comedy and drama aspects of it. Um, so those were my impressions of it. Both so so it's interesting. I, I 100% agree that the comedy I thought was, you know, was so well executed and comedy is so hard. And he took it to another level because he has children and he has serious actors and he put them, you know, he's got this kind of campy over the top you know, portrayal that he's doing of Hitler, mixing these different tones and different people and different kind of things in this environment that should be you know, that's mostly portrayed as dark and, you know, a terrible chapter. And now it's kind of this almost bubblegum candy kind of, you know, whippersnapper. I mean, it would just being able to, you know, take all these different materials and make it coherent is a, you know, tip my cap. That is an unbelievably difficult thing to pull off, which I think he did really, really well. And I would agree with you, the parts, I thought the second half of the movie is where it lost its steam. Uh, and there was two major faults for that. Number one, you and I have talked, uh, not on the podcast, uh, but another movie that was, I think, last year or the year before that I recommend people see called The Death of Stalin. It's funny. I was ju That just was occurring to me. Yeah. And yeah. you and I had a, a, a talk about that because it starts as a very much comedic movie. And it kind of, it, it goes, if you have, if there's a, uh, an S-curve graph where on one side it's funny and the other side is really dark and violent and awful, it basically did that journey. It, it abandoned comedy and went to the dark. And you liked that. I didn't because I felt like I was being switched in the same movie. It's kind of like they set up the world and the tone and then they turned it on me. I didn't like that. And in, you know, Jojo Rabbit, they tried to do kind of both to try to keep the world, but I don't think it quite worked. I know you mentioned a movie I do like that. I don't know if you like the movie or not, but Life is Beautiful. Part of the reason I liked that movie, and yes, you know, it's got a certain irreverence and a certain kind of, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you call it a saccharine, you know, kind yeah. of a, a, a colorful. But what I loved about that is that it had the backdrop of, you know, obviously the Holocaust, but it was such a personal story where the dad was trying to, you know, you know, communicate with his kid and try. It, it's almost like it's what parents do. They try to kind of keep their kids immune from the evilness of the world, but the kid keeps noticing. But, you know, the greatness of the father is when he can kind of change that. And I liked that you know, there was a certain bit of that comedy and kind of the stuff that went through that movie. So even when it got dark, it didn't abandon it. And I felt in Jojo Rabbit that it went from being funny 
to then like for periods where it was overly serious and it kind of abandoned the comedy. Then you'd try to come back to the comedy. And in describing that, which I maybe not doing the best way, in this is a this is a spoiler. As as the war starts to go south for Hitler, I thought his portrayal of Hitler as he became more angry and especially after he committed suicide and they bring him back. I would have loved to have seen because it's an imaginary friend and because it wasn't real, I would have loved to have him hearing all these things about Hitler, but then his friend remained kind of the innocent Hitler, but then that would be so juxtaposed to the other stuff. And I thought the humor would have worked because it, when he was more, when, when, uh, I don't know, how, how do you pronounce his name? I only see it written. Oh, Taika Waititi. Um, yeah, when he was playing Hitler more angry and, more, and less funny, it just, it, part of the magic of the movie started to fall apart for me. And, and I thought that was a, I understood why he would want to, you know, make that change. But I thought there was enough in the movie to kind of show the change. And then it would have been the growth of the, the main character, as opposed to, well, we know Hitler's bad and he's trying to be manipulative. I wished that, it, I wished that it felt forced to me and it was out of, out of tone and it took away the comedy. And I think that second part, the second half of the movie, uh, suffered for that. Yeah, I agree. I I do think the second half of the film lags a bit, and it's funny. I I was just looking at my notes from watching last night, and the death of Stalin is the thing I wrote at the bottom, because the structure of the death of Stalin I think would have worked much better for Jojo Rabbit, where you have you're, you're going through comedy and comedy, and you're sort of being drawn into the uh, the experience of that life but you have you're at, you're at arm's length from the from the darkness of it and then at the end of the death of stalin a character is uh put on trial and sort of brutalized and and murdered and it's really jarring and it, it, it's it's a very unnerving scene in, in many ways because you like all these people they're funny and yeah. then you see the truth of things and it's and so it's very unnerving and I would have appreciated Jojo Rabbit if it had been structured that way, because it's interesting. The film starts off and it's very funny. Like the whole Hitler thing is just, it is laugh out loud funny. I yeah. laughed in the theater when, when I saw it. I was just like, this is hysterical. This guy's great. And the stuff when he and the little boy goes to this uh, Hitler youth camp. Oh, my God. It's, it's just hysterical. And like Sam Rockwell plays the... the <laughs> the Nazi soldier running the, the Hitler youth camp. And he's awesome. He, he has this monologue, which is just so great. And he's like, just this drunken. But it's, it, it's like, it's a, he wants to be a war hero that fails at every level. So it's almost <laughs> like he's just despondent and he's there, you know, for, you know, whatever. And that's what's so great is it's like, he realizes that life has passed him. He's never going to achieve his dreams. So here he is to try to like, you know, he knows the war is not going well, but he's going to keep doing his job. He was definitely one of the highlights of the film, no question about it. Oh, he's so great in this movie. I, I just loved him in it. But so the film goes on that way, and like there are a bunch of tw little twists and turns, and uh, and all these things. But then, at one point, he's with his mother, and they come across. Uh, it's very out of the blue. These people who have been hung. Yeah. And it's such a dramatic shift and it takes you out of the opening sort of, uh, I guess it's maybe 15, 20 minutes or something 
that sort of intoxicating fun. And it puts you into this, here are people hanging there. And the mother, the boy wants to look away and the Scarlett Johansson plays his mother. She physically moves his head so he has to see it. Yeah. And I get that's what Waititi is doing to us, but I feel like it breaks the momentum and the connection with the film. And so when you, then when you try and go back into, oh, this is fun and blah, 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 it just, the, the disconnect is just too much. And I think it would have been better, I agree with you, in terms of the Hitler um, character. It would have been really interesting to me if the Hitler character were like uh, the Jimmy Stewart movie, Harvey. Oh yeah, that, absolutely. That it's, it, he, it's in the movie the whole time. Yep. And so you see, and, and nobody sees Hitler except this kid. And like, so they have a relationship. And then as things start to go bad, you get to see that split. And then he has the, the moment where he kicks Hitler out the window is much more impactful. Um, and, and the reason that I didn't like the shift in the Hitler character is because to me, the Hitler character wasn't Hitler. It was kind of this idea. And yes. the idea doesn't change. Right. So, like, you know, there, are, you know, there's, there's a reason that Germany, you know, has this, you know, overphobia of, you know, Nazis returning to, the, you know, the homeland. And there is, you know, there's in every country and every race, there's, there's these kind of, you know, similar thought processes which don't change from generation to generation. And I would have loved that to have been the purest form that it wasn't Hitler. It's this this idea of a perfect race and, you know, we're better than them and all that sort of stuff. And that that never changed in it. And the boy was forced to throw that out. But by throwing it out the window, it's almost like a virus that can go find someone else. And, it, right. it, and by, by diminishing the Hitler as being kind of like, well, yeah, who would be attracted to that anymore? It, it didn't leave open kind of that almost like a, a Twilight Zone or like a Star Trek episode where you realize like, oh, we might have dealt with it right here. But that doesn't mean that it went away. And I, and I felt like it felt in this movie that it went away. It was, it was too buttoned up that like, oh, he's grown up. You know, they won the war. You know, the allies have won the war and we've, we've dealt with it. You're kind of like, mm, no. Not well, really. I, I think that's a fantastic idea. And how interesting would it be if you've spent the whole movie watching the relationship between the two yeah. of them? Because that's, that's the thing that, that, that just has energy to it. And... So that's grown even more if they're together more. And then at the end, when he has to get rid of him or whatever, you know, the last shot of Hitler, as opposed to him being kicked out a window and like, you know, exercised from the, from the world, of him just wandering around the streets of Germany looking for somebody to talk to. Yeah, or if he was talking with another little kid. Right, boom. You know, just, and, you're, and you're just like, no, 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 no. We know, yes. we know where this goes. Don't do that. It would have or been if, more powerful, I think if you want to get super political and subversive, having him talking to some American soldier, right? Yeah. Like all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, what, what is he, what is this guy trying to say, man? Yeah. Like, but what ended up happening, and my, the feeling I got from it was that I was really surprised at considering the subject matter, how safe the movie is. Yeah. It, it, it's really, really safe. And in one sense, I understand that because you're dealing with, you know, making Hitler into like this fun loving guy that, you know, you have to tread lightly or you're going to get stomped. But I just felt the movie failed, failed to use that um, storytelling device efficiently and effectively enough. Um, it didn't, it didn't use it for all it was worth. 
And, and I think what we're ahead. talking about right now, because some of the failings, if you just look at the movie from, you know, from a pure movie standpoint, the errors in, you know, some of the tones, some of the shifts, some of the choices that were made, those are there. But I think what we're talking about right now, we're more criticizing the movie for what it could have been. Like, if you yeah. step back, you're like, oh, man, you know, this, this, could, this was maybe a single or a double, but this thing could have been a triple or a home run. And, and I think we're, we're seeing kind of the what could have been as opposed to what was there. So I also want to let the listeners know, you know, kind of as some of these things we're exploring with how they would have changed the ending or how they would have changed the Hitler character or what they would put in there. That, in my opinion, would be expanding the scope. This means it would be a movie that could be watched, for, you know, for a future generation or another time and you get more out of it as opposed to just that enjoyable, I enjoyed watching the movie, but I'm never going back to it again. Right, right. And we should get, uh, actually, I, I want to ask you, because I, I wrote this down. Oh, what were your favorite scenes in this movie? Ooh, see, you, you, you have a leg up on me because you watched it again last night. Um, I haven't seen it now in a couple weeks. Um, the, I, I, I oddly liked uh, JoJo's uh, friend. I mean, the, the camp scene when he runs to go pick up the, the, <laughs> the I mean, that, I mean, it was, it was like, I was like, it, it was shocking because I didn't know it was coming. And then I was like, I don't know if they, I almost wonder if they sanitized it too much. He had a couple scars, but I'm like, you know, I, I think it would have been worse off. But yeah, the scene, the scene is, is, you know, he's been teased by the boys and, you know, he's kind of mocked for all this stuff. And so he's off in the wood kind of self-doubting himself and he gets a pep talk from Hitler and he basically, you know, gets all jazzed up and he runs back <laughs> and uh, Sam Rockwell's showing the kids how to throw these like hand grenades and Jojo just jumps up, steals it, runs it and pitches it like he's going to be a champion and it ricochets off of a tree, lands at his foot. And I th can't remember exactly what he says. So I'm like, uh-oh, and it explodes. And then Sam Rocco was like, yeah, don't do that. I mean, the, everything about the comedic timing, what was being said, kind of where everybody's mentality was. And then it was obviously a shift in the movie. You're like, well, where are they going to go with this? Uh, that was definitely one of my top scenes, uh, without a question. Yeah, I, I really like that scene. I like the whole camp experience yeah. that they had. I just thought that was really well done. Um, you know what was really interesting was the opening of the film, actually. It, the film opens with, you know, uh, it cuts back and forth between Jojo talking in the mirror, getting ready to go, and then going about his day, and uh, archival footage of Hitler. Yeah. And, you know, driving through the streets of Germany with all the crowds and during, you know, the, the rallies and all these things. But uh, the Beatles, I think it's I Want to Hold Your Hand, is playing. Oh, yeah. And and I think it's the German version, which, um, you know, because yeah, it's like they, very subtle because you don't pick up on it. Yeah. But I think you're right. Yeah. And it's just I was really I really love that opening because it sets up the whole idea. It's like, oh, this is human nature. This is Beatlemania and Hitler mania are sort of just different branches of the same tree. Like it's this sort of hysteria that overcomes people. And it can be used for good or for ill, depending on your opinion of the Beatles. And, you know, so it's, I just love that. The other scene that I loved was when Stephen Merchant, who plays, I think he's in the Gestapo. Yeah. He shows up with like five other Gest oh, yeah. Gestapo yeah. guys wearing, you know, these, these dark suits and hats. And they show up at JoJo's house and they all <laughs> introduce themselves and say, Heil Hitler. 
And so it's just like seven minutes in the movie of like people just saying Heil Hitler to one another. And it's just, I just, it was like Monty Python meets Mel Brooks. And I just love that whole section. I thought it was great. And I, and I think a, a, I, I, I agree. I, I love Stephen Merchant. He's, he's, he's great. And what I loved, you know, again, another spoiler, if you're still listening and haven't seen the movie, um, it turns out that Jojo's mom is hiding a Jewish girl in their house. And so part of the storyline is, is he realizes that she's there. And there's a great, the great scene between the two of them, both, both the girl states kind of the pros and cons of telling versus not telling. And then, Jojo goes back and then reiterates it again and it's kind of like it's a standoff. There is no there is no winning <laughs> no matter what happens. Yeah. Both stuck with each other. And so as their relationship kind of develops, that that follows up. So you have this five minutes of Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler, and then she, you know, kind of announces herself as opposed to hiding and tries to pawn herself off as being his sister. And so here's this little Jewish girl having to go through this Heil Hitler with all these people. And you watch Jojo Rabbit being like, oh my gosh, they're going to know she's a Jew. And it just, it took this funny scene, kept it funny, but it kind of infused some of the bigger, the bigger stories or the bigger kind of social trauma yeah. that was in the thing. And I, and, I, and I thought the whole scene, you know, it starts, it's kind of like comedy, you know, okay, it's funny. Then it keeps going. And then they keep it going long enough where it becomes funny again. And then like, you can't stop laughing. Then they bring in her and it's wait, but then it's still funny. And you're like, man. That's hard to pull off, and I, I yeah, that was a, that was fun. It's, it's it's a funny funny scene, and but it is also tense because yeah. you do because the Jewish girl is in the house, and you're like, oh, what's gonna happen? And um, and then when she comes out, and you're like wondering which way it's gonna go. But what's really great about the scene is that it keeps going and keeps going, and then they discover this book that that JoJo is making about like how to how to. He's what, basically, the, like, yeah, it's like basically the, 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 the cookbook of how to know, how to understand the Jews so that we can kill them. Right. <laughs> and it's just like all of the worst sort of stereotypes and, yes. and racist stuff. And Stephen Merchant sees it and like picks it up and starts reading it. And he starts reading it aloud with like the rest of the Gestapo around him. And they're, they're loving it. He loves the book. And Thomas and McKenzie is the, uh, plays the Jewish girl. She's an actress I really, really like. Yeah. She's very, very good. I don't think she's particularly good in this film because I think the character is poorly written, but she is a terrific actress. Yeah, and is. in that scene, she's just watching them read it. And she doesn't have to do a whole lot. She just listens to them talking about Jews and you just feel it. And it's the only scene in the movie that, for me, that had that sort of weight, that sort of gut punch in terms of that ugliness. And it's because Stephen Merchant, who is just fantastic, he is so like banal and yet menacing in the role. And there's a real creepy danger about him in, that mo- in this movie. Like when he smiles, it's just like, yikes, man, what is going on? <laughs> So I, that was my favorite scene, that whole section. And of course, Sam Rockwell's character shows up in that section and does the whole uh, Heil Hitler thing for yeah. like to everybody. And so it's great. But um, yeah, so that was my, my favorite scene. What did you think of the various cast members? Uh, for the most part, I thought it was really well cast. I thought that, uh, I thought Jojo did a good, good job. I thought, you know, his kind of, I don't know what his friend's name was, the slightly overweight kid. Yeah. He, he, his comedic timing 
And he, it was, what I loved about his friend is his friend was like the most pure child vision. The way he viewed the world and everything. And it's like you could feed him information and he would like do it, but he still maintained, it was like he wasn't tainted by anything. So like he'd be hauling around munitions, but it would still be like a little kid. There was something really, I loved how they decided to do his character. I, I thought it was interesting. Albeit, you know, it's, it's not that big of a part of the movie. You know what's interesting about that character? He's the only one who doesn't speak with a German accent. You're right. You're right. Yeah, he has a British accent, which is, I, I thought, interesting in terms of sort of the uh, the soul of the character in that he, he does stay untainted, even yeah. though he's doing all these sort of yeah. Nazi things. He, he, he keeps an innocence about him, which is very endearing. And I agree. I thought the kid who played Jojo did a good job. Again, I really love Thomas and Mackenzie. I just think that character was not, I think that character was really poorly fleshed out. I think it could have been far more powerful, but I did, I thought the interplay between her and Jojo, even though the character wasn't great, that was a lot, there was a lot of screen time. And she brought, she brought a connection because of her power as an actress, that if you didn't have it, ooh, I, that second half of the yeah. movie has been absolutely unwatchable. So even though oh, I agree. the character wasn't maybe where it needed to be, I, I'll give her credit for saving what otherwise could have had the movie go off the rails. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I just, I, I think she's terrific. I just thought the, uh, the I got a good character was, was... I was surprised. I, I didn't realize that, uh, what's her face, uh, Rebel Wilson was in the movie. Uh, she and, is. <laughs> <laughs> and I, like, when she first broke onto the scene, she can be really funny. And it's like now been many years and I, it, it's, it's not nearly as funny anymore <laughs> because it's like, literally the same thing and you're kind of like i don't think this is working so when she popped up in this movie and because it's kind of this absurdist thing at the beginning i'm like okay well, this is interesting and she didn't play it as over the top as she kind of normally does so there was like okay where's she gonna go and in my opinion I, I thought she was one of the weaker people in the movie i didn't i didn't think i don't know if it was her acting and or the character but i i thought that you know i didn't connect with her nearly as much as some of the other actors Barry. You're so <laughs> negative. You're so, why are you so negative, Mary? Um, what did you yes. as, as I as I wrote in my review about this, I Rebel Wilson is one of the great mysteries of the 21st century. I do not understand the appeal of this woman. I don't find her funny at all, and ha never have. And as I'm watching this in the theater, so the first time I see it, I'm watching it, and I'm pretty tough to get to laugh in a movie. And I laughed a bunch with the whole Hitler thing in this. And even with Sam Rockwell, he's like, it's cracking up. But every time Rebel Wilson said something or was on screen or doing a bit or whatever, it fell so flat. Yeah. And not just for me, but the entire audience that I was watching it with, nobody laughed at anything she said, whereas people were laughing sort of throughout the movie. Uh, so I, I just, I thought she just, She's like a black hole in this movie in terms of any sort of comedy. Um, so I'm not a fan. I mean, she, and I just wanted to say before we move on, yeah. Thomas and McKenzie, who plays the, the Jewish girl, um, people should go see the movie Leave No Trace, where she stars with Ben Foster. It's from 20... Oh, my gosh. 2016, I, maybe? 
Uh, no, I think it was, it might've been 2017. That movie was phenomenal. Ben Foster is on my, my current Mount Rushmore of video actors. He, he, he's awesome. But that movie was great. And she was a powerhouse in that movie. I just looked it up. It's 2018. How about that? Um, she's yeah, I think great. I was on my list that should have been nominated last year, but didn't make it. Yeah. Yes. And she, she actually won a Mickey Award, which is, as we all know, the most prestigious uh, of the film awards. So, yeah, go see that. Rebel Wilson, you don't need to see anything she's in ever. Um, but here we go. Here's the interesting part. This film is nominated for, let's see, six Academy Awards this year. Best Picture, uh, Best Adapted Screenplay, um, Best Supporting Actress, Scarlett Johansson, which is what we need to talk about. I really dislike Scarlett Johansson's performance in this movie. I felt, and again, I don't blame her for it. I, I feel like the character was really one-dimensional, sort of cliched, manic pixie, dream girl um, type thing. And I found it a very grating and very sort of showy, performancey type of uh, work by her. And I, I wonder what you think about that. For those that have not listened to our great podcast covering the marriage story, you can listen to that after this, where we talk about, uh, because she is nominated for both supporting and actress this year, uh, I did not like her performance in the marriage story. Um, so if I was voting between the two, she would win. <laughs> if I had to pick for one of them, I would choose it for this one over marriage story. But you, you nailed my thought on her character was, it was the sanitized, I'm trying to think of the right word for it. It was, it was kind of like they wanted her, it was, she, was, she was Jesus. There was no flaws. There was no stakes. There was no nothing in her character at all. It was just like, well, my son will come around. We will have this. It, 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 there, it was such, everybody else struggled with something and she was so righteous and so virtuous and so in command that it it was so in contrast with the rest of the movie that i felt it was very weird um and i and i didn't like i didn't like that i don't really i would love to ask him why they chose to do it that way because clearly it was intentional um so her performance of the character was not bad i just think it was a very very poorly conceived character to begin with with no ability for an actor to take it anywhere so i don't yeah. know what you would have done differently under the same parameters i agree it, it felt very limiting the the character so the actress scarlett johansson all you can really do in in some circumstances when you're given something very thin like that is just bring energy to it and she does that um, and she brings this sort of uh, vivaciousness to the role. But it, what it ends up doing is accentuating the vacuity of the character. It, the character is simply a one-dimensional, saintly, um, it's not a real person. It, I mean, and, it reminds me, I don't, think we, I don't think we've done a podcast yet on Knives Out, but we and I talked about the lead actor. Oh, I was out. just thinking exactly the same thing, and, yes. And it, and yeah. it, 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 the character is exactly the same. They, they, there is, the only reason that people connect with characters, whether it's in a book or a movie or a story, 
is if they can, you know, if they can identify with them, if they can connect, and there's some sort of growth and stakes and trouble, if things are just like, eh, doesn't really matter. I mean, nobody connects with that. And I don't know why, I don't know why there seems to be a rash, especially it seems to be more so in the female characters in yeah. movies. Yeah. It's like they, it's like they don't want to make a misstep. So they just make them empty. And I, and, and I think it's a mistake. And I, I hope that they correct that because, you know, great female roles are always, you know, in short supply anyway, uh, great roles in general are, but if you're going to take what should be a great role and make it nothing, I think that's a danger for for actresses moving forward. I I totally agree, and it's so interesting that you say that about Knives Out because that is what popped into my head. I was like, oh, it is like Anna De Armas plays the female lead in Knives Out, who is this saintly character who literally cannot lie without getting sick, without yeah. throwing up. And I had a, a comment from a reader who pointed something out to me, which I hadn't thought. I, I have written about Knives Out. I wrote an article which got quite a bit of attention, some of it pretty negative, <laughs> uh, because I, I pointed out the, the flaws of that film and sort of the politics of it. And somebody pointed out, like, well, how is this girl, um, she's hiding her illegal immigrant family, so she has to lie every day. So how does she survive? And I, you know, like, wouldn't she throw up every second of every day? And I was like, well, I, I hadn't even thought of that. You, you know, like, I, I, you know, and of course the guy commenting is certainly coming with a political opinion. But anyway, the point being about female characters, I, I agree wholeheartedly that it's a, I think it is a function of wanting to be safe and not wanting to, not knowing how to navigate those waters of you know sexual and gender dynamics and you end up sort of neutering the whole process of just like oh well and of course the fact that you know yt wrote this it's based on a book called caging skies um but it does seem like that character and even uh thomas and mckenzie's character they they just seem a little less grounded then they're almost like unicorns, like these mythical creatures that are mysteries that are so distant that we can't understand them. And that's, that's frustrating. And I think it does harm the film and, and both of those actresses who, who I like, I like Scarlett Johansson. As I said, Thomas McKenzie is one of just a great, great actress. And, uh, but I, I just think the writing does not uh, conducive to them giving good performances. Yeah, and I think I, and I just want to remind people that listen, you know, if we could do every podcast and movies and they were great, I'd be the first person to always be like, oh, you know, this is phenomenal. Usually what we're trying to break down is what, what, will make, what will make people consume stories in a way that like they'll understand why they feel the way they do. Because a lot of people who go see a movie, they'll be like, you know, I liked it. And then you start asking questions and they're like, no, I didn't really like that. And it's just, you know... It, like it kind of goes past their brain where they don't understand why. And I'm hoping that as people tell more stories, as it becomes easier for people to make movies or do series that we don't lose kind of some of this fundamental storytelling ability so that those of us, as we age and we're forced to watch other people's work, um, it doesn't go in the wrong direction. <laughs> we, we want people to make better stories. Right. And it's funny 
we started this discussion off by talking about how I this I just watched for the second time, and you know the idea of like oh well, you, you know it's not that kind of movie. So I would say this about Jojo Rabbit: it does have entertainment value. Yes, it does not have cinematic value. Agreed. And that doesn't mean it's a terrible movie and you should hate it and all these. It just means like. That's just not what it is. Now, I, I think it tries to be that. And I will say this, Taika Waititi is a talented filmmaker. Like the, visually, this film is it's not remarkable, but it's, it's well-made. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not like this guy's just like flying by the seat of his pants. He doesn't know what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He's a very, very gifted director. It's just the film is entertaining. It's not it doesn't have cinematic or artistic depth and value to it. I think. Well, you know, one, someone asked me when I was younger, you know, as I started doing this for a living and they're like, well, you know, doesn't it wreck movies when you have to analyze them? And what I found is that I used to only view movies for entertainment. Did I like them or did I not? And it was like, a, it was a cut, you know, it's either, it either worked or it didn't. And what I realized is the more sophisticated I got and the more I understood what was going on. When you said that this is an entertainment movie, I agree. And it's not a cinematic movie, except for, I do think as you're learning, especially if you're working as an actor or you're working in the business, you're a writer, you're a director, studying movies like this and finding out why, you know, when did it not feel right to me? Why was that? Going back and plucking it apart. A, there can be value in watching movies like this, but then also when you see a great movie, the reason it's so much fun to go back and watch it over and over again is because it is like going to a gallery where it's like, it is a masterpiece and it works on all levels. And, you know, the more you understand, it makes those successes that much more enjoyable as a fan. So I think that's ultimately why, why we do what we do and why we want to share it with others so they can feel the same way. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, because I, this is what I do all the time is, is uh, sort of do autopsies on movies really. <laughs> and, you know, like Knives Out is a perfect example of, something about that movie didn't work for me and it, it made me feel uh uncomfortable is not the right word but it, it i i was put off by the film and well, so I, teaser for a future podcast <laughs> <laughs> so i by going back and going through that i discovered a bunch of things and i was like oh okay now i understand why on an unconscious level i had the reaction i had to that movie um Jojo Rabbit, the same thing. Uh, by being able to do that stuff, you you actually enhance how you can watch films, and not uh, it doesn't take anything away from that. You're not sitting there watching, you know, something and being like, oh, you know, this is this is terrible. It's just mainstream stuff. You can appreciate mainstream entertainment films for what they are, and then you can also understand the the structure and why it connects with you on a psychological and unconscious level and what, how it does those things. And that's the stuff that we are interested in and that we're talking about particularly today. One question I had for you, because I thought of this, studio boss, Barry Anderson. Because <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I already did mine. But who, if you could recast anybody in this movie, is there anybody you think of that you could throw in? And I know that I'm just throwing this to you. This is unfair because I already did it myself. 
but I have an idea that I'll give to you if if you uh, can't I mean, make anybody. The person I think that fit the, the least was Rebel Wilson. And if I got to cast somebody to you know, replace her with, I'm swinging, I'm swinging kind of fast, fast and loose, but I would love, I think an interesting choice because she doesn't, she's not known as a comedic actress, but I would love to see Laura Linney play that role. Oh, interesting. Wow. Because I think, I think someone of her caliber, you know, even if it's kind of a, a one dimensional, those really great actors always find a way to bring something even if the director doesn't notice it. <laughs> right. You know, sometimes I see movies, I'm like, oh, the director totally doesn't see what they're doing, but they do. But I think Laura Linney could be funny, and I think she's got the range to pull some off. I'd, I'd love to see what she could have done with the role. Interesting. My, my studio boss moment was, it occurred to me last night, I don't know why, it just popped into my head. Uh, instead of ScarJo playing JoJo's mom, what about Charlize Theron? There's just something a little edgier about Charlize. Yeah. That you, I think you know what's interesting that you say that is ScarJo started out more edgy. She's got the most bizarre. It's like she's yeah. becoming more sanitized and more normal and more accessible. Where usually people start out and then they do more movies, they get darker. It's like she's going yeah. the opposite direction, which is super fascinating to me. It and is how that exactly worked. Because like most of her early career movies were like movies where she destroyed relationships. She was always the home wrecker. I mean, it wasn't like she was playing likable characters, but somehow now, you know, it's kind of like she's the safe choice. Yeah. It's not like she's a bad actress. Like it's not no, like not at all. there's no range. It's just, it's, she's got a very interesting career trajectory. She does. She does. Uh, okay, Barry, we should wind it down. Any closing thoughts on Jojo Rabbit? Well, I think, I think people should see it. I think it's, it's worth a watch once. I, I like the fact that it's, you know, it's not, not typical. It's not, you know, a, a sequel. And it's, it's, it's someone taking a risk doing something that wasn't a failure. And I want to support those. So I suggest that people go watch Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, I would, I second that notion. Um, like I said, I think it has entertainment value, but not cinematic value. And uh, it's worth seeing on Netflix or cable um, when it comes out. And it, it's, it has some legitimately funny, scenes in it and some really funny performances sam rockwell most notable and Stephen merchant so yeah i and taika waititi of course is great in it uh, as hitler so that wraps this one up so barry the white supremacist loved the movie uh, it was like a, a fever dream for him in some ways <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding he's not a white supremacist god uh i think barry is like the polar opposite of whatever uh white supremacist is. so that wraps up jojo rabbit i want to thank everybody for listening and for checking out looking california and feeling minnesota my name is michael mccaffrey that's barry anderson sign off barry all right well we'll see you, uh oh you can't say see you at the movies we'll uh we'll see you next week we'll see you on netflix <laughs>